from John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, let Your Word come forth to us and open our hearts and our minds and our spirits, our very soul, to receive what You have for us. I pray this, Lord, because without You we come to nothing, but with You all things are possible. And I pray that You would receive honor and glory this morning and that the Word shared today would be the ones You have us to transform us. Lord Jesus, be our transformer. Amen. If you read through scriptures, there's a way to read through, and, and a lot of people like to do different ways. And Proverbs 30 is a powerful passage about Jesus. If you've ever read through the Proverbs, like the day of the month, you read that proverb. A lot of people do that because there's 31 chapters. And if you come to ver uh, chapter 30, and then you read John chapter 3 in this passage, in this area right before this passage, Jesus quotes it. Jesus quotes Proverbs 30. I've preached through this before and I've got a different Bible with more references and it pulls this reference out of the verses just before what I read for you. Now, as a proverb, that's what they taught out of. At the time of Christ, they taught Proverbs, they taught the Psalms, they had a liturgical reading, kind of like we have a lectionary reading in the church if you so choose to use that. You can go through most of the Bible in a span of three years. That came from the way they used to do that in the temple. They had three different readings every day of the year. And the special readings would always include the Psalms and then the Proverbs would fall in place sometime at least three times during those three years, if not more often. And, and I share that with you because that means this passage was familiar. The, the Proverbs 30 passage was familiar. Psalm 23 was familiar. All of the Psalms were familiar to them as well. And Nicodemus, who has come to Jesus, as we talked about last Sunday, is a teacher who has read that passage. He had had access to those scrolls of the Proverbs. And what's interesting is he would read that scripture in Proverbs 30 and misread it because of his bias, which was toward uh, validation or verification of the teaching he had learned from the people who were around him. Now you say, well, well what, what am I talking about Proverbs 30? Well, let me pull you back in John 3 first. It says that Jesus says, I speak of things that we see and what I know. And if I told you earthly things you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now listen to verse 13. This is it right here out of Proverbs 30, direct quote. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Proverbs, part of Proverbs 30. And I'll pull it out for you because I think you're going to want to come in out look at this proverb in more detail because it's one of the prophecies of Jesus Christ. And it says, 
I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, who has ascended into heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fist, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What's his name and what's his son's name? Surely you know. That's from the proverb. Surely you know his and his son's name. It's talking about Jesus. And Jesus says, there's no one who's ascended to heaven but the one who's descended from there. And they didn't know who it was. So this was talking about something and they would try to explain this passage in Proverbs, but it wasn't the way it was meant by God. It was meant to refer to Jesus, His Son. But they didn't know who it was. If they had been careful to study Scriptures, for example, they would have been able to read Isaiah where it says His name is Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting. They could have found those names for Jesus. Maybe not his exact name, but they could have gotten his title correctly. But they didn't read it like that. They didn't understand it like that. They understood it that this is what we need to preserve is there's a Messiah forthcoming. This passage may or may not be about it, but we don't know who he is. And that's what Nicodemus heard. And Jesus marvels that Nicodemus, having access to the Scripture, didn't study them with an open mind. Jesus is pointing to Nicodemus what he missed in his study, in his reading, and what the teachers of the temple told him. And because Nicodemus wasn't looking at the Scriptures the right way, he could not come up with the right interpretation. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we learn what Scripture is about. And I love this passage. It's one of my favorite. I always like to quote it because it's so good. And here's what Peter says. No scripture, or excuse me, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if someone's going to teach you man's opinion about scripture, and not give you the Holy Spirit's interpretation, you might get the wrong one. The temple folks didn't have the Holy Spirit guiding them. They just taught the traditions that preserved the temple and their own Judaistic beliefs. Now you could criticize Nicodemus for this. You could criticize the temple leaders for this. But we do the same thing. We read the scripture wrong. Let me show you. Let's look at today's text. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus right after it says, who is ascended into heaven. And the passage I read today, Jesus says to him, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Moses lifted up the serpent. Do you know that story? Are you familiar with it? Have you read that? Do you know where to find that? I want to pull it for you out of Numbers because that's where it's at. It's Numbers chapter 21. It's verses 4 through 9. This is after Moses has struck the rock and they've gotten water out of the rock. Right after that, here's what happens. It says, From Mount Or they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. 
Anybody here impatient? And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food, his manna. <laughs> then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a certain bit, the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Listen to what the people said and what Moses did in response. They said, Pray that he may take away the serpents from us. He did not. He made a fiery serpent of bronze, put it on a stick, and they raised it up. Anybody got bit, they would look at it, and they would be healed. They would live. He did not get rid of the fiery serpents. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross is what He's talking about in the verses this morning. He's talking about being lifted up so that the serpent which has poisoned our life, if we look to Him, we'll live. It does not say the fiery serpent's going to be gone. That you won't have Him around to torment you anymore. It doesn't say that. A lot of people think that's what happens. You know, I give my life to Jesus, and all the wicked stuff's gone. I should have a holy, happy, healthy, problem-free life. It never says that. We misread Scripture to think that. We justify our complaints to God. You know, look, look. I, I pray, I go to church, I do what I'm supposed to, and yet stuff happens. But look at verse 7 in Numbers, which I just read. We have sinned. So have we. The fiery serpents are killing us. They're destroying us. The wages of sin is death. And there's no workaround for that. Not that we could come up with. The bronze serpent was trusted to heal them of the snake bite. Get this. They're looking to the one lifted up on the stick. Looked like a cross because they had to wrap a snake around it. And they trusted when they looked to that after they'd been bitten that they'd be healed. And when they did, they were. You see that act of faith? Lifting up, trusting that doing this will heal me. There is no sense or logic in our mind that a snake bite would be healed by looking at something. There's no logic in that. There's faith in that. And they trusted the snake so much that after the serpents were gone, they began to worship the snake. That bronze snake that Moses made, they began to worship it as precious and holy. And whenever people would tell the story, they'd go look at the snake and go, wow, Moses made that when after long, long gone was Moses. And they'd say, wow, that's what Moses did. Wow, this thing is real. And they come to faith because of that. It became so bad 
that the serpent actually had a name. Nehushtan. And the word is the Hebrew word that sounds like serpent, but also sounds like the word bronze. So you'd say, Nehushtan, you'd be going bronze serpent. But it was a holy word, Nehushtan. And when they would say it, they would believe and look at that and know that God was a redeemer. But they worshipped the snake rather than God. It was bad. As a matter of fact, in 2 Kings we find out Hezekiah, who's a godly, godly king, destroys the serpent so they'll stop worshipping it instead of God. He said, you're not going to have idols. And isn't it tempting to worship something that has given you healing or restoration rather than the God who actually did it? But that's what they were doing. They have relics all over this world and they can be a detractor rather than a source of hope and confidence. They're not meant to be worshipped. As a matter of fact, um, early this year we went to Virginia and came to a church and it was beautiful in Roanoke and we decided to take a tour of it. It was a Catholic church. And I know about Catholic church so they all have to have a relic. And we were about to leave and I thought, wait a minute, I haven't seen the relic. What's this one founded on? Why is this church so important? So I went up to the priest and I asked him, what relic do you have? And he said, we have a piece of the actual cross of Jesus Christ here. And I said, this I got to see. <laughs> so I called my wife, my son-in-law, my daughter. I said, come on, come on, we got to see this. Come on, come on, come on. And we went back to this little room where that relic was a very small piece of the cross. Took a picture of it. And I said, wow. A piece of the cross. Genuine, certified, verified. It was like, I'm on holy ground. And I want to just go, wow, this is powerful. But it isn't powerful because it's a piece of the cross. Can't worship that. It's because it's supposed to draw you into the relationship with Jesus Christ and say, yes, He's real. To manifest his realness to you. That's what the relic's for. Not to worship the relic, but to worship Jesus. And the Israelites, at the time of Hezekiah, and from Moses to Hezekiah, got it wrong. They worshiped the snake. You would think that the thing that bit them and destroyed them, they would never want to worship anything that represented that. But that's what they did. Let me tell you something. They realized they had sinned in the story in numbers but I got to tell you something sin gave the snake access but the sin was not caused by the snake the fiery serpents came because they were disobedient and when we're disobedient to God we give access to the evil and the wickedness to come and have a free reign in our life because we don't want God's covering and protection it doesn't matter what sin doesn't matter any sin will open the portal of the wickedness in this world and the enemy to come in. Their sin was rebellion and complaint. You go, yeah, that's pretty bad. But you didn't hear me. I said, complaint is sin. My wife said to me this week, if God inhabits the praises, then the devil must inhabit the complaints. And wouldn't you agree? I've never heard a good thing come out of a complaining heart that helped anybody not even when I complain and we've been bitten the fact is we've been snake bit because of sin but not because of the snake the snake wasn't sin nor the source of it we 
have sinned. I have sinned. We can all say that. I have sinned. Now, we're not going to broadcast all the depth of all that, but we can each acknowledge we're far from the measure of Jesus Christ in perfection. We can acknowledge that easily. So that means we chose sin over God and disobeyed God in His call in our life. And now Jesus says, if you look to me like they did the snake, to trust that He's the source of healing for the snake-bitten soul. If we will trust Him, when we turn to Him, Jesus says, I will be lifted up and draw you to me. And when I draw you to me, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now, it's not in that verse where he says it, but in John 12, 31, he says, the ruler of this world is now cast out. The ruler of this world no longer has authority, no longer has power. And we look around, I don't know about you, but I look around this world, I, I don't see the ruler cast out of the world, do you? Even the Bible says there's going to be deception and wickedness and people growing further and further from God, having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. All this stuff is going to happen. And the ruler of this world is not Jesus, it's Satan. He's running stuff. So how can he say, now is the ruler of the world cast out? How is that possible? Well, the fact of the matter, he's telling us the truth. That... The ruler of this world is cast out of the equation of our relationship with God. We no longer have sin between us where the enemy can slither in and take advantage of our decrepit and disobedient state. That means our relationship with God is pure and holy. And the ruler can't get into that. It is sealed by Jesus Christ on Calvary. And at the moment of faith when you come to Him, you're no longer have Satan with authority over you. Yes, he's running around. If you do disobedience, he's going to bite you. But he does not have the ability to stop your relationship with God anymore. He has no authority in that. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the serpent, the snake, the devil has nothing on you. He cannot lay a claim to you. Your relationship with God no longer has the snake involved. And because of that, you have your no back. You can resist him now. Even the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. You can do that now because you've been given the authority to do that. And here's a simple way to look at what Jesus is saying in our text today. When you enthrone Jesus Christ in your life, the enemy is cast out. He has no power or authority in that area of your life. Wherever you might choose your agenda and your plans instead of submitting to the authority of God, there's room for the snake to bite. Wherever you let your emotions overrule kindness and graciousness and loving other people, you've left room for the snake to bite again. He won't kill you. He won't destroy you. But He'll certainly harm people around you and your witness of love. Here's a simple way to check. Have you ever justified not loving or forgiving somebody? 
If you've ever done that, that is the ruler of this world infesting the truth of God that says if you don't forgive your brother whom you have seen, how can you believe in God and think He's going to forgive you who you have not seen? For loving one another is the command of Jesus Christ. Not if you want to, not if you've been justly treated, because Jesus loved the unlovable and those who spitefully used Him. Spitefully, intentionally did it. That used to be a big buzzer. Well, they did it intentionally, therefore I can't. But Jesus forgave those who intentionally tried to destroy Him. If you lift Him up, He will draw you to Him. But He doesn't just say, if I'm lifted up like the serpent, that I will draw you to Me. It's not what He says. He says, I'll draw everybody. If you lift Jesus Christ up in your life and throne Him in all areas of your life, people will be drawn to Him through you because you're lifting Him up in your life. You will be a witness to that. I think that's a great thing. It isn't about a renewed effort. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, if we feel like we've fallen by the wayside in the faith, it's not about a renewed effort to turn your life over to Jesus again. It isn't one of those try harder things that you do. I'm just going to try harder to be like Jesus. I'm going to try and love people more and try to do more good work for God. That's not what it's about. It's an act of surrender. It's your will for His and His plans for yours. That your plans are no longer there. They're His. It's Him being lifted up in all things and Him drawing you to Himself. Draw near to Me, He says, and I will draw close to you. He will come to you. He will transform you. Maybe you've justified not enthroning Jesus in certain areas of your life. I have. And as I was preparing for this message this week, He gave me a very beautiful statement that I didn't want to hear. So I'm going to share it with you. Jesus will not share His throne. Not with anybody. Not with anything. Not with anyone. Nor any circumstance. He and He alone be on His throne. If there are things that you put ahead of Him, He will ensure that you are not in through His authority and you will be left rampant in this dark and dangerous world because you've chosen not to follow His Lordship in that area. And you'll run rampant and into shipwreck, as Paul says. There are areas in our lives where we keep pulling Him off the throne because we don't understand who He is. He made us. He created us. In a single word, He can obliterate us if He so chose. He's high and mighty above all. And when you understand He will not share His will and agenda to make yours a, a, a priority for Him, He's going to say, "My, Thy will be done, not mine. That's what He said to His Father. Thy will, not mine. Do you remember that? This is when He's facing crucifixion. We give deeper, less 
important excuses for why we don't want to do what He asks us. But Jesus is clearly saying to us through this passage, if we lift Him up, and when we do, He'll begin His transforming work. And there's parts of our life where we haven't done that. And when we don't do that, our life gets a mess. And the enemy gets a chance to play around. And then we go after a while of dealing with that. Lord, help me! I sinned! I forgot who you were again! I forgot that you were God! I forgot what you can do! Give me back to you, God! I need you! I need you! And He's saying, enthrone me. Enthrone me in all areas of your life. Seek me first and the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else you want to enthrone is going to be in the right spot. Don't let the snake convince you otherwise. And don't let your heart, your emotions, your circumstances, anything else tell you about Jesus that it isn't true what He says. That He will not share His glory or anything else. Why? There's one God and you and your emotions and your heart and your mind and your thinking are not it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, so much time we put our mind and our hearts and and our emotions ahead of things and we just want to get things done and make things happen because we're frustrated, we're scared, we're angry, we don't know how things are going to turn out. And so we try to do what we can do on our part and we keep doing it ourselves without letting you in. When all you're saying is, I am the only way. I am the way. I am the reality. And you keep trying to tell me otherwise. And we do that, Heavenly Father, because the world has taught us of that bias and validating that what the world teaches is true, that the solutions are man-made, that if we just take this or do this or believe that, and all you're saying is exalt me, lift me up in all areas, and I will draw you. And that word draw, Lord, I know what that means. It doesn't mean just you're going to bring us to you. It means you're going to transform us along the way. So help us to surrender today. I ask you this in your precious and holy name. Amen.